Welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? I'm Carrie. And I'm Joe. Please remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We're just shivering like a child and talking about 80s music. So give us a break. (laughs) Welcome, Joe. Welcome, Carrie. Hello, and welcome to any new listeners and loyal listeners. We found some in Charleston, West Virginia, Boise, Idaho, and Atlantis, South Africa. Wow. All those folks can keep up with us on our Facebook at facebook.com slash HRT80S or our Twitter at HRT80S. Joe, how are you doing? How you doing? I'm pretty good. I know there's a few tidbits in here. I forgot to write what I wanted to talk about. So let me regroup and figure out if I want to talk about it today or next week. And you start. Okay, well, I will start with a very quick follow-up tidbit about the movie Your Place or Mine. You watched it. I know. I'm very surprised. You didn't watch it? I haven't watched it yet, no. Do not watch it. (laughs) That is the moral of the story. Friend of the podcast, Chad, reached out and said that his wife had been watching it and he got intrigued by it and was wondering about it. And I wrote back and I said, Chad, do not watch this movie. (laughs) It's not good. It's just not. It's boring. They don't have any chemistry, although they're not even on screen together. So I guess they don't need to. You know, the whole reason I watched it, as we discussed last time we brought this in tidbits, was, you know, I wanted to see how they used the Cars music. And I was just really disappointed. There was just Cars songs playing. You know what I mean? Like, I thought it would be more integral to the plot. I was under the assumption that the songs would have particular relevance. Yeah, I just listened to when you brought it up originally and you said, oh, I read something that said these Cars songs are going to tell the emotional journey of Ashton Kutcher's character. So Mm -mm. guessing that didn't happen. No, it did not. They were just basic playing. It could have been any songs playing back there. It could have been any songs. And there were songs that were played twice. There was no deep cuts. It was all the ones that you are thinking are there are there so just overall was very disappointed in the movie itself and in the cars (laughs) featuring in the movie but as we said the first time i mean i guess if one person thinks oh i liked that song what was it and gets into the cars then fine with me i guess worth it yeah well carrie did you watch that movie on a plane I did not watch it on a plane. You didn't? Well, I asked because you did some traveling of late, correct? I did. I did. I was uh, visiting my parents down in Arizona. And then after that, my husband and I took a little jaunt to Vegas. So I have been on a whirlwind recently. And I have a review of a show I saw in Vegas. Adele? No. No. Nope. It was a little bit smaller scale. (laughs) I'm just thinking now. I'm like imagining this act playing in the Coliseum at Caesar's Palace on the grand stage that Adele plays on. But no, that was not it. I gave my husband two choices. I said, I want to see a show when we're in Vegas and I'll let you pick. And the first one was the RuPaul's Drag Race live show. And the second one was the Jets, colon, 80s and 90s experience. And he chose the Jets. 
I don't want to say anything bad about them because it was a wonderful show for what it was. But when I tell you that I felt like I was sitting in a high school auditorium watching a school show, that's what it felt like. Oh, no, that's not bad. It was just bizarre. I mean, this theater that we went to was like a high school auditorium. And the Jets, they played all their big hits, but it was kind of like a variety show where they performed a bunch of other hits from the 80s and 90s. It was strange. It was strange to watch the Jets performing Ice Ice Baby. (laughs) No scrubs, waterfalls. Yeah, you sent me some videos, and I saw no Jets songs in those videos. I saw every other song from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was an hour of music. They never stopped. The men would be on stage, you know, singing and playing, and the ladies would go off stage, and then they'd come back, and the ladies would sing some. I had a good time. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting (laughs) whatever it was I saw. My husband afterwards said to me, did you like that? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so that's that. It was fun. Well, now you can say you saw it along with 49 other people in that little room. Exactly. It was an experience. Well, uh, any other tidbits? Uh, no, I don't have any. How about you, Joe? No, I think I'm going to save mine. <laughs> I need to do a little more prep work. Maybe it'll be a morsel next time. Very interesting. Very interesting. I cannot wait to hear where this goes. Well, we got to keep this episode short and sweet, Mm. you know? Yeah. Brings us to our main topic, which is the shortest songs to hit the Hot 100. In honor of the end of the shortest month of the year, we are looking at those shortest songs to ever hit the Hot 100. And this is courtesy of the awesome book, The 80s Music Compendium by Dave Kinzer. We've talked about it many times before. And way back in episode 36, we covered the absolute shortest song to ever hit the top 40, which was the theme from Dukes of Hazard by Waylon Jennings. And that clocks in at two minutes, six seconds. But now we're going even deeper. Ooh carry the shortest song to ever hit the Hot 100, clocked in at just 1 minute 45 seconds. It is The Hippie Hippie Shake by Georgia Satellites. We all remember the Georgia Satellites from their truly terrible number two song, Keep Your Hands to Yourself. I will say I do smile just when I hear that first part when his voice cracks. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I do not. I got a little change in my pocket going jingling-a-ling. Okay. All right. I'll give you that. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, let's keep it. I like it. No second take. Well, that one peaked in February of 1987, and that was the group's only top 40 hit. Two years later, they covered the song Hippie Hippie Shake. Carrie. Yes. You thought the song was a Beatles original. I did. I always thought that. Why? Please elaborate. <laughs> well, why don't you read the rest of the f-ing sentence? But it doesn't make any s- The Beatles did. Oh do my a god, they of- did? I had no idea. <laughs> oh my god. What is going- Am I supposed to know the Beatles sang this? Yeah, I thought the Beatles had a very famous version of it. I've never heard it. Oh my god. 
Carrie, this song was actually written and recorded in 1959 by some guy named Chan Romero, and it was only covered by the Beatles live in several concerts in 1963. That version wasn't even released by the Beatles. It was finally included on a live compilation in 1994. The most famous version was recorded by a British band called The Swinging Blue Jeans in December of 1963, and that version went to number 2 in the UK and 24 on the Hot 100. The Georgia Satellites version was recorded for and included on the soundtrack to Cocktail. The song topped out at number 45 on the Hot 100, but it did make it to number 13 on the rock chart. After their third album was released in 1989, lead singer Dan Baird left the band to pursue a solo career. I think we've talked about his big hit, right? <laughs> yeah, we definitely have. What was it called again? I Love You, period. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. real bad. This guy, man. You're the one who just complimented him for his little... He contributed one thing to the culture, (laughs) and he should have moved into a cave. All right, so what did you think of Hippie Hippie Shake? Well, I'm really surprised it only went to number 45, just based on how much I heard it back in the day. I guess it was in the commercials, too, and maybe the preview. I just, I could tell you I've heard this song nine million times in my life. How? I don't know. I thought the song was much bigger than that. I felt like it was all over. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, maybe I'm confusing it with Twist and Shout by the Beatles, which was also re-released around this time. Mm-hmm. That song is similar, and it felt like both those songs were everywhere. I've never cared for this song. I didn't care for it back then, and I don't care for it now. And I do not care for the Georgia Satellites. How do you feel about the movie Cocktail? That's funny. I thought we just talked about this too recently. You just watched it, right? Within yeah, like the last maybe year. last year I watched it for the first time. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I don't have fond memories of it. It's not very good. Yeah. We do like to say it in this house. We say cocktails a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, because you were just in Vegas, like a cocktail waitress at a casino. Oh. And she walks around, she's going, cocktails, <laughs> cocktails, yes. okay, cocktails. <sighs> Well, next up, it's a song that is only 1 minute 50 seconds long. I Love My Truck by Glenn Campbell. Get a room. (laughs) The only version I could find of this is 3 minutes long, so I think Dave Kinzer might have needed a fact checker. (laughs) You hush your mouth. Anywho, Glenn Campbell is a legendary country music star who got his start as one of the session musicians in The Wrecking Crew, the collective of session musicians that played on many of the big records of the 60s and 70s. He hit the Hot 100 36 times between 1961 and 1981. I Love My Truck was the last of those hits, but it peaked at number 94 in August of 1981. I love my truck. It's right outside. 
This was also from a soundtrack, but from a movie I'm sure no one remembers called The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. This movie had almost nothing to do with the famous song of the same name by Vicki Lawrence. It starred Christy McNichol and Dennis Quaid as brother and sister country stars. I Love My Truck made it to number 15 on the country chart, and Glenn Campbell continued to hit that chart regularly into the early 90s. You know, I was all primed, like, I'm like, okay, I love my truck, Glenn Campbell, what is this song going to be about? It's exactly what you think it's going to be about, it's so uh-huh. ridiculous. He's yeah, like, I don't need is... a woman, I have my truck. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? This is ridiculous. I know, get out of here, truck. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I thought there was another song within the last five years, too, on the country charts that was basically about this. But maybe this is such a ridiculous parody of an idea that I just think that. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. A minute and 50 seconds was too much. <laughs> I mean, he had a lot of hits, it sounds like. What do I know by him? Is he the rhinestone cowboy guy? He is. He is. Literally, that's probably the only song I know by him. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what his big pop song was. That was definitely it, right? That one went to number one. Shame on you, America. (laughs) I mean, you know, it was a different time. I do like that he started off, you know, in the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And then made it big on his own. Wichita Linemen was another one. That one went to number three. I mean, I guess I've seen that song title, but I don't know that I've ever heard it. Rhinestone Cowboy went to number one. Southern Nights, that song is on the um, Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, I think. Will you sing it a little bit for me? I can't think of it off the top of my head. Those are fine songs by uh, Glenn Campbell. Let's remember him for those, not for I Love My Truck. I love my track. (laughs) Sorry. Our next short song, Carrie, is Come On, Let's Go by Los Lobos. It's only two minutes, nine seconds long. We did talk about Los Lobos in some detail in episode 114. And of course, we all know them as the band that performed the music for the movie La Bamba. And they went to number one with their rendition of the title song. Come On, Let's Go was another song written and performed by Richie Valens. His version was included on his self-titled debut album in 1958, and it made it to number 42 on the Hot 100. Los Lobos recorded it for the first time for their 1983 EP and A Time to Dance, and they re-recorded it for the La Bamba soundtrack. The song was the follow-up single to La Bamba, and it peaked at number 21 on the Hot 100 in fall of 1987. Los Lobos would never chart on the Hot 100 again, but they've continued to release albums and perform. And in 2022, they won a Grammy for Best Americana Album, which was their fourth Grammy overall. I love to hear stuff like that. We did talk about them recently, and they were still going then, and I was excited to see they were still going now. Mm-hmm. And Grammys, you know, nothing to sneeze at. No, yeah. Did you hear today, we listened to a countdown, AT40, did you hear the spot about Come On, Let's Go? Yes. 
they played not even the Richie Valens version. It was like somebody else's version of it. Yeah. And I, oh God, why can't I remember who? But it charted even higher than Richie Valens. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was not a good version of it, though. It was like weird and Mm -mm. slowed down. I was like, this takes out all the fun of it. Yeah, I love this part of the movie, too. Have you seen La Bamba since we talked about it last? I have not. (sighs) Are they at a fair or something? Is that what's happening in this one? There's a lot of fair footage (laughs) in the movie, but this is when he's recording in the studio for the first time. And it's like a super cut of him singing it over and over and over. Uh And his brother is like, come on. What are you doing? You know, you got the take. And it's kind of like to show like, okay, well, now you're making a record. You're going to have to sing it over and over and over and hurt your voice. Oh, interesting. I love this song so much. It's so fun. I was caught up in it again when I was listening to it today. This one doesn't get old for me. I think La Bamba does a little bit, but this one I can listen to over and over and over again. Yep. Super agree. Our next short Hot 100 single is Almost Saturday Night by Dave Edmonds. Clocks in at 2 minutes 11 seconds. Dave Edmonds is Welsh and started a band with his older brother when he was just 10 years old. The two of them then played with a bunch of different bands in the 50s and 60s. Dave had a solo career as an artist, was also an in-demand producer, and had a band with Nick Lowe called Rockpile. This guy got around. Almost Saturday Night was originally written and recorded by John Fogarty in 1975 for his second solo album after leaving Credence Clearwater Revival. John's version, which was 2 minutes and 19 seconds long, peaked at number 78 on the Hot 100. Edmonds sped up the song just a little bit and recorded it for his 1981 album Twangin', which consisted of all cover songs and had all of the members of Rockpile playing backup. His version of the song made it to number 54 on the Hot 100 and 18 on the rock chart. Edmonds continued to hit the rock chart throughout the 80s. His biggest pop hit was Slippin' Away, which reached number 39 in 1983. Didn't you bring that for a song that time forgot? thought you did, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring it. I thought you did. <laughs> I don't know. I no. don't remember. Well, if you don't like the song, then you didn't bring it probably, right? Sounds like you don't really like Slippin' Away. I do like it. I don't think I like it enough to have brought it as a song that time forgot. I don't remember much of what we did here. (laughs) It's been 197 episodes, Joe. Yeah, I don't remember last week's. I know. I feel like every time I'm researching for The Attic and I'm looking up Dave Edmonds or Nick Lowe, and I swear there's one other guy in the mix here, it's always like Dave Edmonds wrote it and put it out on an album, but then Nick Lowe sang it a year later (laughs) and put it on his album. And then, you know, five years later, this other guy put it out. Like, I feel like they all just did, like, song swaps. Yeah, well, it was so confusing because Rockpile was a band that was intended to, like, record together. 
something happened with like their record label or something and they could never get it together to actually record an album but they just kept releasing solo albums both Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds were all the rest of the guys were playing on it and it's like why don't you just call this a freaking rock pile album? Yeah, yeah that that might be it it's like this song started out as a rock pile song and then Dave Edmonds put it on this album and then Nick Lowe put it on this album yeah, I just looked up Slipping Away. We talked about it in episode 95, and that's what Friends are for, because it was produced by Jeff Lynn. As soon as he said produced, I was like, <laughs> Jeff Lynn. Yeah. Dave Edmonds is one of those guys I take him for granted. I don't seek him out. I don't think about him. But I really feel like every song I hear from him, from the early 80s at least, is like this fun kind of power yeah, pop. Yeah, this one is, yeah. Should we talk about the song? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me say about the John Fogarty version first. He says Saturday in this really weird way where it almost sounds like he's saying Hatterday. Did you catch that? No, but I'll go back and listen. <laughs> I mean, these songs are so short. I listened to the playlist like eight times. So I've heard these songs a zillion <laughs> times, I feel like. Yeah. Especially this one, right? Because it's on there twice. Uh, yeah, I like the song a lot. I definitely like Dave Edmonds' version much better. You know what the best part is, is we're recording this on a Friday night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's almost Saturday night. Sorry, Hatterday. <laughs> Hatterday. There is a deep cut we play on the attic by Debbie Harry called Rush Rush. Yeah. There is something very similar about the verses from Almost Saturday Night and her song. Oh, interesting. You're going to have to listen after this. I will have to listen. Well... Carrie, our next song is the exact same length, 2 minutes and 11 seconds, and it's Holiday Road by Lindsay Buckingham. I know that Lindsay Buckingham needs no introduction. An editor's note, we refer to him as Linz in this house. <laughs> so if you'll allow it, I'm just going to use Linz. All right, go for it. Fleetwood Mac released the album Mirage in 1982. But after that, the band took a long hiatus while the members worked on solo projects. Lindsay's first job was writing two songs for the movie National Lampoon's Vacation, written by John Hughes and directed by Harold Ramis. When Ramis first asked Lenz, he wasn't that interested in writing for a soundtrack, but he eventually agreed, and he wrote Holiday Road without even seeing the completed film. He just knew he needed to write something uplifting and a little bit funny. Is that what those dog barks are about? <laughs> I guess so. My dogs went nuts on that today. The song spent five weeks on the Hot 100, peaking at number 82, and that's Lenz playing all of the instruments on the song, including two guitars, keyboards, and he also did the drum programming. When asked in 2017 whether he looks back fondly on this song, Lindsay said, I look back briefly on it. It was just one of those things that happened to work very well for that movie. What a diplomatic answer. I guess so. <laughs> he hates it. Yeah, I think he said a lot without saying anything <laughs> specifically. I have always loathed this song. Oh. I cannot stand it. I hate the dog barks. I hate everything about it. I've never seen the movie National Lampoon's Vacation. Have you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm Did not. you ask me if I've seen it? Yeah. That's... Only about 40 times. Why would 
Would I have seen it? I don't know. You were a child in the <laughs> early 80s. I don't understand what's happening. Am I being pranked? You know what movie I saw 40 times was National Lampoon's European Vacation. Well, I'm sorry about your childhood, <laughs> but the first one is Ask Anyone. It is the superior movie by sure. 20 times. I don't doubt that. I absolutely do not doubt that. But I mean, like, who rented it in your house? Was it like your older siblings or was it your parents who brought this? I into honestly the home? don't think anyone ever rented it. I think we just watched it on syndication oh. over and over and over. I probably didn't see like the dirty jokes until I was like 18. I guess that makes sense. It is one of those movies. I do remember. Well, no, (laughs) no, that's not right. I was going to say I do remember the beginning of it when they're in on the game show in the pig costumes. But that's from European vacation. That's European vacation. I'm sorry, but any listener out there right now is probably screaming. Like, how have you seen European Vacation and not the original one? I don't know. It is a funny question. I did enjoy European Vacation. I don't think I would enjoy it now. I I remember some things about it very specifically that do not like at all just remembering them. (laughs) That part. What is that? The little video she makes in the bathroom. Oh, yes. Well, what were you talking about? The new dancing? There's like gratuitous boobs. Rusty's like making out with these ladies at, what's the name of that big festival in Oktoberfest? Yes. <laughs> That's what I was trying to think of. If anyone out there listening thinks Carrie needs to watch the original one, just send a message Ugh. to the Facebook page and let us know. No. And if we get 20, she's got to watch it. No, thank you. <sighs> The last short song we are going to cover today is In Between Days by The Cure, which is listed in Kinzer's book as two minutes, 16 seconds long, but I can't find any version of the song that is actually that short. Oh my gosh, you're putting them on blast. The version on the album is two minutes, 57, and all the singles listed on Discogs are similar lengths. So this one is most likely a mistake. But we're going to talk about it anyway, because I love it. This was the lead single from the group's 1985 album, The Head on the Door, which Robert Smith has said was partly inspired by the Human League's album Dare, containing the smash Don't You Want Me. It was definitely more pop than anything The Cure had done before. In Between Days was the first song by the band to crack the Hot 100 in the U.S., However, it only made it to number 99. (laughs) I know. It did better on the dance chart, reaching number 39 in the UK. (laughs) In the UK, it was The Cure's ninth consecutive hit and made it to number 15. Ding, ding, ding. They had to be happy with their UK success, right? Hopefully they weren't like, US doesn't like us. They probably didn't care all that much about U.S. at that point. In Between Days by The Cure. Such a lovely song. I was trying to think of how to describe it. It's just so happy and pure. And like, it just makes you want to spin around. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know. That's what I always think of when I think of it. Partly because of the video. It's like spinning around. And it always makes me kind of have that feeling. 
You know me, I'm not a huge Cure fan, but this is a very good one, and I would say a near-perfect song. Oh, wow. You said that about the last Cure song we talked about, which was... I don't think so. (laughs) You did! You said you don't remember episodes. (laughs) You're confused. I'm trying to remember now which song it was, if it was just like Kevin or if it was a different Cure song that we talked about, because Mm, you admitted at that time you were like, this is the perfect song. Oh my gosh, you're a mess. Anyways, I you know, I was thinking today about my journey with the cure. Your journey? <laughs> journey, yes. I really got into the cure for the first time with their album Disintegration, which came out in 1989 and it was total goth cure. Then kind of went back in time and their previous two albums which were Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me and this one that had on the door were like definitely more pop. And so it was just kind of this weird whiplash between disintegration and then going back and hearing these. But then even when you go further back into the 80s, then, you know, they started out goth. It's funny to me that The Cure was able to do two different kinds of genres so well between pop and goth rock. Wasn't this about when you were in your new kids obsession, too? Yeah, I was a very strange. <laughs> you were a well-rounded fifth grader. I was. I was uh, I was very strange. I was listening to the new kids while I was also listening to The Cure. And yeah, I had a lot of diverse interests at that time. Well, that's it for short songs, Joe. There's some good ones there. Yeah, I mean, we haven't done this in a while, but what's your, you can't pick the cure. What's your favorite short song we discussed? Definitely Come On, Let's Go by Los Lobos. I've got to go with um, Holiday Road. Mm. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Also, Come On, Let's Go. It's just, it's classic. Yep, that's the short songs, Carrie. And we do have one more segment, just so you know. Interesting. What is it, Joe? It's just a bit outside. The segment where we cover each and every single to hit the hot 100 that peaked between 41 and 100? That's it, Carrie. Yep, we started at the beginning of 1980 and went forward. Then also at some point we threw in hits from 1989, starting at the end and going backwards. One day when we're both in our 70s, we'll meet in the middle. And today we've got one of each, and we're starting with a real fun track from 1980. The first song in Just a Bit Outside is Love on the Phone by Suzanne Fellini. She's one of those acts that you can hardly find any information about, but she did leave her mark on chart history with this song, which spent two weeks on the Hot 100 and peaked at number 87 on March 22nd, 1980. She recorded only one album for the label Casablanca, most famous for acts like Donna Summer, The Village People, and Kiss. The song got a lot of airplay on rock stations, and it was the perfect marriage of album rock and new wave that just started to emerge in 1980. In 1983, Suzanne sang backing vocals on a solo record by former Kiss drummer Peter Criss. 
She at one point was an elementary school teacher in New York City, but it's unknown where she is now. I did see on possibly songfacts.com, she also gave music lessons to kids in the neighborhood, and someone commented she was my music teacher, and she was a great person. Oh, I love stories like that. Mm -hmm. I have one word about Love on the Phone by Suzanne Fellini, and that word is obsessed. Oh, really? I love this song so Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say, like, disconnect or some other phone pun to say you didn't like it. (laughs) No. I am obsessed. Wow. I did not see this coming. Don't call me. You're going to get the busy signal because I'm listening to Love on the Phone. Making love on the phone. (laughs) I love that part. The first time I was like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. She's got like a 30s screwball comedy voice going on in it. I told you the first time I heard it, this could be Bette Midler. You're absolutely right. I got it confused with a lot of different people at different times. I think at one time I got it confused with Hanging on the Telephone by Blondie. Mm -hmm. But now I know it for all its glory in and of itself. Yep. I don't skip this. When it comes on, I'm paying attention and I'm I'm loving it. Yeah. Like we just said, it's hard to find out any information about her. But Good like, luck. yeah, mm-hmm. I wish she had a bigger career. Just in this one song, she's got so much personality that I'm just dying to hear what else she did. This is going to be one of those records where you're going to be at a record store and you'll see it in the dollar section and you'll freak out. 100%. I would listen to this whole thing for sure. It's funny you say that because when I was researching this, I like went on Discogs. She did a whole album. I needed to get this album and hear this whole album. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And there's a bunch for sale, but I was looking for some other ones to add to the bundle. So I wasn't Ah, just ordering one record. Moving on to our second entry in Just a Bit Outside, this one from 1989. It's New Thing by Enough Zenough. And I read this whole Wikipedia entry (laughs) that referred to the name of one of the founding members of this band as Chips Enough without it ever saying if that was his real name until the very end when I found out that he was born Gregory Rybarski. Did you think there was a chance that was his given name? I absolutely did, since usually, you know, like at the beginning of Wikipedia, if they say Chips Enough, they'll say like, born what's its face right at the top but it was not there (laughs) anyway chip and donnie v formed the band in a chicago suburb in 1984 their debut album was released in august of 89 and new thing was the first single very heavy airplay on MTV for a video which was later named by the New York Times as one of the 15 essential hair metal videos. The song topped out at 35 on the rock chart and peaked at 67 on the Hot 100 on November 18, 1989. Let's stop there and talk about New Thing by Enough's Enough for a moment, Joe. Thoughts? <laughs> I told you I listened to the playlist how many times? 
This is the least memorable song (laughs) out of them all, if you ask me. Yeah, there's not much to it. This guy has such a weird voice. It almost reminds me of John Fogarty from Almost Saturday Night. He sounds like he's not saying words exactly the way that we would hear them. There's just nothing here. This one's boring. But I will tell you, the second single from this album, Fly High Michelle, did slightly better on the chart, making it to 47 in early 1990. And it did slightly better in my heart, still in rotation on my 90s playlist. Chip is still at it with the band, and they released their 17th album last year. 17? I know. Crazy. My God. Yeah. How did Fly High Michelle only go to 47? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, This is another one like Hippie Hippie Shake. I mean, this was a favorite in my junior high. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I've heard it so much. I don't have it on a playlist right now, but... And I can tell you that I contributed to its chart success because I owned the cassette single. (laughs) That's insane that your mom bought that for you. I loved that song so much. I still do. And that's why I was actually excited to hear New Thing. And I was wondering if it would be as good, but I don't know. Mm -mm. Only lightning in a bottle with Fly High Michelle. Right. Yeah. You listened to this one time and you said, oh, enough. (laughs) Enough. Oh, man. I know. Can you imagine if I had shelled out $10 for this whole album? Boy. I mean, that's a gamble we had to take, you know? That's true. That's true. All right, Joe, that's it. I wonder if our next week's episode, which is going to be a Billboard flashback to 1989, is there any reason that's the year that you picked or the segment? There is, in fact, a reason. I did not know it at the time if it would line up, but in case people have not heard, have not been keeping up with us over on Charlie's 80s Attic, Just last week, 1,600 songs added, folks, from 1988 and 1989. We had never had those in the rotation before. So tune in to hear a new thing by (laughs) Enough's Enough. (laughs) (laughs) We play it on the hour, on the fives. (laughs) There are so many amazing songs from 88 and 89. I mean, in case you weren't aware, we basically have every Hot 100 song from the 80s now in the playlist And lots of deeper hits, of course. I was on vacation, so I have not gotten the opportunity to play any of them yet, but cannot wait to start playing them. Let me just tell you that I snuck in Lost in Your Eyes by Debbie Gibson to my show yesterday, and it gave me a feeling I've never had in my life. I don't know how to explain it. I was just looking through the list of songs that we added, and just seeing some of the names was taking me back. Mm Mm-hmm. I started listening to music like in 1987, 1988. I mean, really listening to music. We talked about it a bunch of times. Like, you know, like buying it, like this is my music, whatever. I know subjectively that the songs from 1988 and 1989 are not as good as the songs from earlier in the decade. But there's just something about them that hits in a way that is pure nostalgia. 
I mean, that's why the Boston season of Real World is my favorite, <laughs> because that's the first time I had cable. Yeah. I know it sucked. Boring. But it was mine. I loved it. Yeah. So anyways, I chose the Billboard flashback to 1989 because we're in that kind of mood lately. Yes. So join us next week for that. And speaking of Lost in Your Eyes, that's the tidbit I forgot. Oh, yeah. Debbie Gibson being unmasked as the owl, right, in the Masked Singer. That's right. Did you ever watch any clips? Never, no. But then also she announced a tour and she'll be here in St. Louis and I'm going in June. That's exciting. I'm dying to know who is left on the Masked Singer. I mean, obviously, we don't know. But it's like, who in the world is beating out Debbie Gibson? They must be really good, you know? Mm -hmm. Who else was on it this year? Dick Van Dyke? That's crazy. I know. Rock Lobster, who was unveiled on the same night, was Howie Mandel. Oh, who cares? (laughs) Right? Oh, man. All right. Okay, we got to... Yeah, this is the shortest songs episode. Don't need to make it our longest episode. Yep. Well, I'll take us out this week. I'll tell everyone, hey, be kind to others, to the world, to plants, to animals. Most importantly, my friends, please be kind to yourself. And if you want to demand people treat you the right way, you just simply have to get in their face and say, fly high, Michelle. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye.